session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good evening, welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show and suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Let's get to the books of the week. Uh, the book of the week for this week that I'll talk about next week is What is Life by Paul Nurse. What is Life? Five Great Ideas in Biology. Looking forward to reading that and sharing it with you next week. The book of the week from last week that I'll talk about today is Gut by Julia Enders. Gut, the inside story of our body's most underrated organ. And um, uh, the gut-brain access is an area of research and study that has gained much more attention, or really it's a newer field looking at the connection between our gut and our stomach and uh, digestional system and how it affects our feelings, our thinking, um, emotional health, mental health, and this bi-directional relationship between our gut and our brain or really even two nervous systems the gut nervous system is called the enteric nervous system which actually functions or can function autonomously from the brain so it can do its own thing uh, without the brain's control or communication which there's no other organ or parts of the body that that do that that can function in that way without the brain's involvement and so in a way it is like a second brain or its own brain that affects our behavior, our feelings in a lot of ways. And really, we're just scratching the surface on that. And this book, which I think came out in 2017, um, cites some research related to that, which I'll talk about. And there's some more that has been done since then. But it's still a lot of inconclusive or studies that are suggesting certain things or that seem to show an influence of things like bacteria or types of bacteria or what's going on in our gut and how it might affect things even like depression, but we don't have any firm conclusions. It's a promising area of research, and I'll share some research that shows how promising it can be, but we don't have any firm conclusions to say, for example, if you're depressed, you can be treated with this type of probiotic and it'll help you out. So it's quite fascinating to learn more about this, and uh, I'll be keeping an eye out for the research as it does come out. But uh, for now, we can't give too many recommendations when it comes to mental health and bacteria that are very clear, but we can see that there's going to be a lot of research that will give us more ideas, more answers, even treatments for mental health issues. So the book goes through the digestive system in great detail and covers everything from what we eat and how it gets digested to even um, facts about feces and things related to how we even go to the bathroom that for example the ways we go in the in western civilization or western society in general sitting the way that we do on modern toilets is probably not the best 
way and the healthiest way. Squatting was traditionally how humans would use the restroom. It does seem to be better for us. It puts less pressure on parts of the body. And so we can benefit by putting something like a stool or a footstool that creates something like a squatting position when we go to the bathroom. That would actually be better for us than the ways that we uh, tend to go or how we sit. So even how you sit when you blink can make a difference. Um, and we want to pay attention to those things. We might not realize that we're hurting ourselves or can be doing things better. So the book goes through that in, in great detail, um, how food travels from the mouth all the way out of the body, the whole process and different steps along the way and what happens and what can go wrong and how people might feel sick, even about vomiting, which is quite incredible when you think about it. Of course, when you go through it, it's incredibly unpleasant, but the body's way of getting rid of something that it feels is potentially harmful and toxic. And so it gets rid of it in that way. And almost everyone has a story of vomiting and connecting it to some food or alcohol. And this very instinctual type of feeling, a gut feeling, uh, that is aversive towards whatever that thing was that they ate or that they drank um, because that's the body teaching us don't touch this thing anymore don't eat this thing we can even think our ancestors even more than us had all a lot of questions they had to be curious about what to eat and not to eat and they had to really pay attention to how their body responded to different things to know what's what's good and what's bad and what can be harmful to them so the book goes into that, which, of course, I won't get into those types of details of, of digestion itself. But to give you an idea, as I was saying that, well, let me actually say share some facts about our microbiome or the bacteria in our system. So, you know, I, I talked last week, I think it was, about the unconscious and how it needs some rebranding. The same could probably be said of bacteria my whole life. Even still, I feel this way, but especially before a few years ago, bacteria was just something bad. So antibacterials, it's always a good thing. Anything that's antibacterial, antibiotics kill all the bacteria. That's what we have always thought. There are these germs and these pathogens that are going to harm us. And of course, there are some uh, that can be very harmful and we do want to avoid or clean or uh, get rid of in whatever ways we can before they enter our bodies. But our bodies consist of trillions of bacteria cells that we actually need good bacteria, as we can call them, in order for us to function in a healthy way. There is definitely a symbiosis there. So bacteria is not bad. There are bad ones. But in our body, we have far fewer or far more good ones. And so some interesting facts, for example, um, if you add up all the bacteria there, their cells are smaller than our human cells, but still it adds up to four and a half pounds or can weigh up to four and a half pounds or two kilos. And here in the book, she says and can contain about 100 trillion bacteria. I looked at some more recent research that had that number at something like 39 trillion, still a huge number, and it outnumbers the number of human cells that we have. Um, which is around 30 trillion. So it's quite fascinating to think that we human beings, me right now talking to you, I consist of more bacteria cells than I do human cells. Um, so when you think of what makes me who I am, we probably wouldn't think of the bacteria in my body would be part of that, but it actually is. 
And of course, it's not just about the, the number, but the effect that it can have. So that was quite fascinating. And here, the number, they're, they're astronomical numbers, 100 trillion, 39 trillion. But um, either way you look at it, we have about as many or probably more bacteria cells than we do human cells that make us who we are. Um, another interesting finding, and this is what I was saying, that we're going to probably learn a lot more about the impact of bacteria on all aspects of, of our experiences, but especially even our mental health, is they've done some studies on mice. So we always have to be careful to make the conclusion that the same can be said about humans. But they've done some experiments on mice where they had two different strains of mice, one that was a more, um, they call it exploratory behavior and gregariousness. They displayed this kind of more outgoing type of mindset. So we can say looking openness to new experiences. And there was another strain that was more timid and docile. So they were bred this way or they were known to be this way. And so what they did is they gave both of them a specific set of antibiotics that would completely clean out their gut of all uh, bacteria they have in their gut. So they're basically a blank slate. And then they gave them the bacteria from the other strain. So the ones that were more timid got bacteria that was from the strain that was more gregarious and outgoing and vice versa. And what they found was that their behaviors switched. So they swapped roles. And that's quite fascinating. That's something, what we might think is as small as the bacteria in their guts affected their behaviors in measurable ways, in very clear ways. So this is what we're talking about when we're looking at the gut-brain access, or one aspect of it, is that even the bacteria in our system can have a, a huge role or a significant role in the ways that we behave, the ways we act, and the ways we feel. And as I mentioned, the science is very new on this because even this concept, it still even can feel a bit surreal to think the bacteria in my body might affect if I'm depressed or not or have an effect on my emotions or how open I am to new experiences. It, it seems a little bit hard to comprehend that, but that's what the research seems to be finding. So they will be trying to do studies like this on humans, trying to understand things like, for example, when people are depressed, is there a difference in their gut biome and their, the bacteria they have? And of course, anytime we look at something like that, is it is it people who are depressed already have that or it's caused by the depression? It, you know, which way is it? But either way, that can give us some indications of prevention and treatment of things like depression. So again, if someone told me, help me with my depression, I wouldn't likely think about changing, affecting the, the gut flora, the bacteria in their gut, but it does seem like there can be some benefits or effects that it would have. So it's really an interesting and exciting area of research, and I'm happy that there are scientists out there investigating these things because it does seem to, to be something very promising, somewhere where we can learn a lot more about how we're affected by these things. So it's not likely to me it's going to be something like bacteria makes us depressed or something like that. It's one thing. But when we look at depression, for example, 
what we tend to see is as many things are going on, and also that depression might be many things, but many factors contribute to it, and a lot of them have a chicken or the egg, because, for example, if you don't sleep well, you're more likely to become depressed, but also when you're depressed, you don't sleep as well. But there are so many different factors that play a role or can contribute to depression, and here is another part of that puzzle. So I think that's the way I see it. It's not, not that it's going to be some magic bullet, but that it can have a big impact and something that we can consider. And this is why even things like our diet can have multiple ways that it affects us, but also can affect what type of a gut biome we have, what type of bacteria and how much of those bacteria we might have. Another thing, it does seem uh, some of the research you talked about, not just about when it comes to the gut-brain access, but in general is that people have different reactions or responses to different strains or different types of bacteria. So it's not that there's just this one type that will help everyone. It does seem like different things might be beneficial to different people, of course, in different um, balances, different amounts, and also could depend on what you already have in your body. So those things are all things that will be further researched and, and a long way to go to better understand it, but a very promising area of research. But even if we look at what research tells us, and this book was, as I mentioned, just a few years old, but she shares that the current state of research indicates that our gut has about a 10 to 15% influence on feelings of melancholy, anger, or stress. So that doesn't just mean the bacteria, but the gut in general can have um, 10 to 15% influence on melancholy, anger, and, and stress. And so, you know, that's pretty significant, pretty important to look at. Um, 10 to 15 percent is a lot and exactly what that even means might be unclear but nonetheless there, there's a lot of room for us to understand this better and to think about these things and in the next segment I'm going to talk a bit more about gut feelings something that we we talk about a lot or we hear a lot and we try to sometimes understand what does that even mean um, but this is a great book to give you some uh, overview of things like digestion and what goes on there but also an introduction and some information about the gut-brain axis and also what some research preliminarily is telling us about how significant that can be. And it's another reminder that we might think we understand things or we know what's going on because of how we've seen it for so long, but then we learn about something and it could totally change our perspective and lead to a paradigm shift. If you asked me 10 years ago, does you know bacteria affect your depression? I probably would have not even considered it a question or Maybe I thought, well, if you get an infection, but not that even this healthy um, bacteria. And, and also um, learning a bit more about things like prebiotics and probiotics. So we know about antibiotics to kill what is hopefully the bad bacteria, but it does tend to kill good ones as well. Um, probiotics, you've probably heard it a lot, especially in health food types of settings or um, commercials, but that's introducing bacteria into your body that you could then hopefully it's a good bacteria that will be healthy for you and then prebiotics I had heard that term I didn't know that's essentially giving the food or the whatever is food for various types of healthy and good bacteria so you already have to have the bacteria in your body this then could help feed it to help it grow or become more in number so maybe I've heard of things like probiotics and prebiotics but that's what those things are but yeah a good book an interesting one as I said, give you a good introduction about the gut-brain access and understanding how our body works and digests what we eat and all the things that happen along the way. So that was Gut by Julia Enders. Let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back. Studio number 3104410555. Let's go to a caller, Radio Hamra, you're on the air. And Dr. Fai, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Thank you so much. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm calling you about my daughter who is 12 years old. Uh, I'm calling you from Sweden. And I have two daughters, uh, 12 and soon to be 10 years old. And I have been divorced from my ex-husband since four years ago, I think. Um, and, and my question is about my uh, oldest daughter who is 12, yeah, actually recently 12. And uh, she has met a girlfriend uh, for, for about three, four months ago, a new girlfriend uh, who is not from her school, her own school. Uh, and by the way, I, I should uh, maybe add also that I, I am staying at the same state that uh, my ex-husband is living. So I haven't changed the school for my kids and they are doing the same activities and uh, um, uh, the same school that they were having for four years ago. So they, they just continued the same school and same activities. They, they love basketball and dancing and swimming. Um, so this new girlfriend she has found is uh, through a, a football club. She, she's not going to football my daughter, but she has met her through some friends that are going to the same club as her. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the interesting thing about this uh, girlfriend is she's also soon to be 12, but um, uh, she's a little bit taller and a little bit more developed uh, than the other girls. And um, she's a little bit bossy. I don't like her way of <laughs> having makeup and wear of clothes and the way she talks and the, her behavior. And I have done some investigation around looking at her family. I don't know them. I just know that they have a, a lot of kids. And, for instance, one of her sisters is just going around, in, 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 on, uh, around their own school and smoking and talking um, not so good and these kind of behaviors. Um, I just want to understand, uh, or I just need your advice, how do I make sure that uh, my daughter, she uses her own uh, senses or uh, understanding or manners or whatever, and, and um, she makes a decision that she doesn't want to be friends with her anymore. <laughs> Because it it seems that she's drawn into her more and more mm-hmm. every day, and she's um, she was, for instance, talking to me uh, one month ago and say, "Mommy, I I want to change my school," and I say, "Oh, okay, why?" Uh, because this girl, she uh, my girls are going to private school. She says, "Okay, this my new girlfriend. She doesn't they don't have um, enough money to go to private school, and she doesn't like her own school. Therefore, we have found a school." only 30 minutes from here we are going by train and i said oh okay interesting very good so have you spoken about this with your dad and she said uh, no uh, and i said okay you need to have more arguments better arguments for that <laughs> if you want to uh, convince your dad to change it to it but she didn't she she said to me okay i don't have anything else mommy and she forgot it i just want to say that she has some influences on my daughter mm-hmm. and i just want to know how do i go further from here I, I have spoken to her father as well my daughter's father and he doesn't either approve this uh, friendship and we don't want her to be friend with that this okay. um, young lady young lady okay well I mean to begin with um, 
of course, I can understand you're concerned about both your daughters and what they get exposed to, who they surround themselves with. Uh, that does ha obviously have an impact on us. At the same time, I would be hesitant to even say, okay, I want to focus with you on how can we get your daughter not to be friends with someone that she's friends with or wants to be friends with, um, it, which is in a way how your question was posed is like, how do I get her away from this girl? Uh, control, you know, kind of control her friendship for her and saying, you know, this girl is bossy, which is not good, but almost we want to boss her and making this decision for her and deciding for her. So uh, overall, I would, as I said, understand where you're coming from, but I would hesitate to encourage you to think your goal has to be to rip her away from this friend um, and, and pull her away from that rather than trying to understand what's going on for her and help her understand whatever she's doing. Uh, it seems like she has other friends as well. Uh, I wouldn't just give in to anything she's saying if she wants to change schools or do things like that, that you would just say yes to that. But um, I think we have to be careful when we're trying to make decisions for our children that they can or can't be friends with someone. So uh, that's my starting point is that I don't see it as something that I'd want you to pull her away from this person or f force her not to be friends with her. Tell me this, how have the conversations gone with her so far? Because it seems like you have your feelings about her. So how have the conversations gone so far about this friend between you and your daughter? Um, she, um, the first time I met her, she, she came to our house and uh, it was Halloween. And we were doing some Halloween uh, decorations together. And there I understood she's a little bit bossy and uh, bossing me around. <laughs> and. <laughs> Uh, and, and my daughter asked me, what do you think about her? And I said, she looks good. She looks fine. I, I, didn't, I didn't go into the details about it. And I said, okay, she's, she's an interesting human being. And uh, actually, uh, it has nothing to do with the race or anything, but uh, she's from Africa. And I think because my daughter in her school, they don't, there are not so many other people. Uh, we are Iranian. And in her school, there are not so many other Iranian or other nationalities. So she's um, drawn to her because she's uh, uh, from other countries and she's interesting, of course, and listening to other music and, and uh, exposing her to new music and this kind of things or um, talking about boys, which is a little bit early for my daughter. I, I can understand that. But um, she's introducing her to, to new world. I, I totally understand it. I, I didn't tell her no you, you with her. I have never said that. Uh, I know that my ex-husband haven't... By the way, your, your phone seems to be breaking. You might be... Your, your connection seems to be breaking up a little bit. Some of those sentences... I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Let me, I, I don't know if it's it, the connection it, itself. It, it, is that I'm hoping it's better. And so the conversation is that she asked me, what do you think about her? And I said, she's interesting. Uh, let's see who she is. Mm -hmm. I just want her to, um, that's my question maybe, that I don't want to tell my daughter you shouldn't go with, yeah. with her. I don't approve her. But I don't want her, I want her to understand that I don't approve that she's going out with her at five o'clock in the afternoon, which is dark here in Sweden mm -hmm. and in <laughs> Northern Europe. And I don't want her to go outside with her at darkness, going around and going round, round, round. I, mm -hmm. I, I don't like that. I don't approve that. Okay. Well, that's different. I mean, if there's 
Are you saying only with her or with her friends in general you don't like them to be out at night? In general, I, and in general, and no one else is doing it. Okay. They are uh, in this in this school. They they go to each other. They have play dates and they go to the basketball. They have a lot of activities together, mm-hmm. but never ever they go around and round and round and to the supermarket from this supermarket to the other one and going outside only for just going around. Yeah. And this is, I think, this is too early and this is. Okay. Too much. Well, that itself, you know, if you to me, if you make that more of a general boundary and rule that okay, that's not something I'm as comfortable for you to be alone at nighttime and just you know going around places. That's something that if you want to make that a rule with her, I can understand that that you'd rather yes, if she's going to someone's house or if they're spending time in one location, you feel comfortable. And that doesn't seem like you're saying it's specific to this friend. Now I get the sense you are. Uh, more concerned about her doing that with this friend than you would with her other friends. But nonetheless, that could be a more general rule. Now, it does seem like some of what you're saying, at least how I hear it, is that she might be this new friend is exciting in a way, like she's, you know, does more fun things or goes out, let's say, in a certain way, or exposes her to certain music or things that she hasn't been exposed to. So, you know, at least initially, there could be some like infatuation with her. I mean that just in a friendship type of way, just interested with what she's into, and yeah, exposing her to things that she maybe doesn't get to see. So that's exciting, and always kids are trying to see things from the grown-up world or things that are a little bit out of their age range because it's exciting and they're curious and all those things. So there could be some of those factors at play. Um, so if you feel uncomfortable about her going out when it's dark and, you know, if they're just on their own, then you could tell her that's something you're not comfortable with. So the ways that they're spending time, you want to be more aware of what they do. That I think is okay. Have you talked to her about that? How do they spend their time or what they're doing? Um, yes, they, they, um, when she was here, we were decorating for uh, Halloween and they made some TikTok shows together, mm-hmm. but they are not post, posting it, uh, publish it uh, publicly. It's just private okay. uh, videos they do on TikTok. So they do TikTok. They do a lot of <clears throat> talking about makeup and, uh, of course, boys and talk about them. Uh, so uh, my, my daughter, she has never been at her house, but she's, she has been at our, my house and my ex-husband's house. And my ex-husband told me that uh, he has tell, uh, told my daughter that uh, she's welcome to come to his house. Mm-hmm. every uh, Whenever they, they need it, she can, she's welcome to cur- uh, come to my house or his house. This is our rule. So, okay, um, I, I understand that I should be a little bit more um, generally talking to her that I'm not comfortable uh, with her going out with whomever, <laughs> mm-hmm. whether she's uh, this girl or the other girls or boys going out and going round round to, to the different places. Okay. So, but but yeah. they haven't yeah. done. But so they haven't done that yet. You were just worried about them doing that, or? Oh, oh, they 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 are planning to do that this okay. Tuesday. Ah, okay. Well, that's something, you know, like I said... They are planning to do that. Yeah. If yeah. it's more general, like, you can have that conversation with her about, the, you know, how you feel about it and what, what's what's going on with that. As far as this, this girl and, you know, trying to persuade her against being her friend, I, I would hope you make that less the goal and more to talk to your daughter about the situation or her friends in general 
as she gets older, she's going to tell you even less. That's something you have to be ready for. Um, you know, so you're just going to know less about yeah. what's going on. And so we're going to have to trust her in a lot of ways to make the decisions that she makes. And I don't know what her relationship is like with you in general, but, you know, you're talking about her and this, this girl being bossy, but how do you see your daughter as far as standing up for herself or sharing her um, opinion and things like that? How is, how is your daughter when it comes to that? She's absolutely herself an alpha woman. <laughs> she is. Okay. She says her opinion. She she hasn't. She doesn't hide it. She's absolutely there for her sister. Support her, and uh, of course they fight with each other at uh -huh. home. But I have seen that she's absolutely supporting her sister when they are outside. And um, yeah, she she's not afraid of saying okay. her meaning. Well, that's not good. At all. So let's. Um give her that credit too of course we're all influenced by who's around us and affected by it but yes. do you feel that she's a strong person and she'll say what she wants and say what she's feeling and what she wants to do she's you know going to be able to do that with this person as well so um you were saying your daughter is that way is strong right yes she's, yeah okay. she's absolutely strong yeah, I, so. i'm not worried about that part yeah well good so just you know keep that in mind that she's you know, I'm um, going to do that. As I said, changing schools and all that for this person, you know, and she's only met her for a few months. It does seem like she's very intrigued, excited by her. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they might maybe also get along very well, but I would just dissuade or push you away from trying to end this friendship or make that your goal to, to get in the way of of this because we don't really know this person. You know, I know you said you did your investigating, which itself shows that you, you're very suspicious of this person and the family and things but I think we have to be careful not to to try to make a decision for her and as long as she's not getting rid of her other friends um, you know that then it's okay she has a new friend I wouldn't get in the way of that absolutely my, my goal is that my daughter understand herself and make a decision that I, I'm not comfortable with the way that she's having clothes or I'm not comfortable with the makeup or I'm not comfortable with going around. This is what I, my goal. My goal is that my daughter takes that decision. Yeah. And I mean, but you know, that's going to be your daughter's decision to make. And we don't know what your daughter wants to do or how she would want to dress, even if this person wasn't in, in her life in some way. So of I course. understand, but it's just being aware that some of what you're saying is I want my daughter to decide what I already think is the right thing. But if we're going to let your daughter decide we have to also give her that space to decide and it might not be exactly what you want or would pick yourself but because it's your daughter's Understand. decision you know we have to give her that space so you know this is also something i, I want to empathize with what you're going through because when our kids are little yeah of course we care about how they play and what's going on but once they're entering close to teenage years the things that they deal with exposed to and can do start to get a little bit scarier for parents to think of their kids you know going towards those things so i understand you're more concerned now and that can create an anxiety it's just making sure that that anxiety doesn't push you in a way that might even push your daughter away from you you know by if you try to get too involved sometimes parents do that they get too involved in their kids lives and actually they still do the things they're doing anyway just pushes them away from from their parents so um good luck with that Thank you so much. I, my last question is, I, I have also under, uh, understood that uh, when I'm, uh, I don't push her that much. I, I, I let her 
go and experience the the world and and back and forth. And this is the first time I'm I'm uh, I'm a little bit worried that I don't approve the way uh, the other girl is uh, behaving. But um, I have also understood that uh, whenever uh, she, I, I don't push her, she under she makes good decisions actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just wanted to to push her to make a good better decision this time as well. Well, yeah, which I get, but you know, if we're going to trust her, we have to trust her to make a good decision that might not look exactly like, you know, for you, I think right now, a good decision is like, oh, I don't like this person anymore. I don't want to see her anymore. That feels like to you the best decision or the good decision, but she might not make that decision. And, you know, we still have to give her some, have some faith in her to make her decisions and give her that space to also make her decisions and see what happens with it. So I I get it. You, You do give her space in general, but here, this is the first time something has scared you in this way or made you worry in this way but I still hope you'll give her that space to figure it out and be there with her she wants to talk to you about it how the friendship is what's going on you know having that relationship with her will be even more important than if you pull her away from this one person that you think we don't even know but you think might not be good for her absolutely and and in general I can tell her about my boundaries and and she knows that I don't like her to be outside at seven o'clock in the evening or yeah. whatever so that's okay that I tell her I think so yeah it, <laughs> I always want to make you know I, I always encourage parents to have it as a conversation so not just tell her this is it and that yes. that's the rule but and you know why and that you know what's going on there and and then even maybe ways around it's like well if I come with you both you know and I'm there or something or with your friends you know, whatever it is, like that's more acceptable. So it's finding some um, resolution rather than just saying this is the the law, but having a conversation of the why and what can be done. And yeah, maybe at this age, yeah, I'll feel more comfortable or things like that. You know, I always encourage parents to make it a conversation rather than just like a ruling. Um, but yeah, you can definitely talk to her about that. Thank you so much. Sure. Understood. Thank you. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Nice talking with you. Take care. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. You too. Take care. Let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Hi. Uh, I'm, I currently uh, had a college uh, question, okay. um, and I wasn't sure if I chose the right major. Um I'm currently in my mid twenties. Uh, I recently graduated with a bachelor's in finance, mm-hmm. and um, I wasn't sure where to go from here because, uh, to be fair, like I wasn't that 4.0 GPA student. Uh, I did average in school. Uh, didn't really network, you know. So I I wanted just to hear your take on where I should go from here because I'm really not able to find a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, all I have is a bachelor's and I'm really not sure what to do yeah well and you were saying you're not sure if you picked the right major we could talk talk about that you know um, sometimes I think about how when you know we're kids and people ask us what we want to be when we grow up and we say things cowboy or fireman or whatever it is or firefighter but when we think about it we're like well I don't want to make a decision when I'm five for the rest of my life but we ask youngsters sometimes 17 18 and they make a, a similar decision or they have to make that same kind of decision but sometimes it's not that they really know and then sometimes they feel tied to that decision they made but i think uh, too often we do that when it's not necessarily that we pick the right path so it's not that you didn't 
picked the right path, but it's worth looking at, you know, even what brought you to finance and do you think that was the right major? Is it just that you're having a hard time finding a job? So you're thinking of doing everything differently. So tell me a bit about that. What brought you to pick finance as your major? Yeah, so honestly, I, I really don't have any relatives or, or anybody in the field. I just really liked investing from the start, you know, mm-hmm. everything that has to do with the stock market. And money was honestly my biggest goal. I really wanted to make a lot of money. And, you know, I like that whole office job vibe. So I thought finance would honestly, like, suit me. But now that I graduated and, you know, I'm not able to find a job, I find that a little bit discouraging. And Mm. I'm not sure if I had to network more when I was in college or, you know, or what I had to do. Okay. So, but what you told me about finance was you like, you know, it's the making money part and then you like the office job. But what else made you think that you either would be good at finance and also would enjoy finance other than the making money part of it? What do you think drew That's you into it? That's honestly all. Okay. Just from the start, uh, like I was really interested in the stock market and it, that that's honestly all. I really didn't really have any other reasons to choose that major besides okay. that. And when from you say, the start, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't have any alternatives. So I thought, that that might be the best choice for me to choose at the time. Okay. Um, when you say you like the stock market, what about the stock market do you like? Just just the whole investing thing, you know, uh, choosing the right companies to invest in and waiting long term to 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 see the growth in my portfolio, you know, just just to start early, just to start the whole investing thing early. Okay, so starting early, then putting your money in the right companies and and seeing yeah, holding exactly. and all that. Okay, um, do you feel like you're particularly good at doing some of this type of work? Now, even from my own understanding of stocks and picking stocks, we see that people tend not to actually be really good at it. There's Most people are, are not, and you look at different hedge funds and different people picking stocks, and it's hard to be consistently good. But nonetheless, do you... F- enjoy the work of looking into things and analyzing what you need to analyze to, to do the work of finance? Yeah, I like I like the whole idea of, you know, uh, researching about the companies, seeing what I have to invest in. I even tried day trading. That didn't really work out well. Yeah, I, I would highly, but, yeah, not from a financial standpoint, although the financial standpoint, the research shows that most people lose their money with day trading. Yeah, it's exactly. really, but on top of that, psychologically, uh, I just see people and how much it just can mess with their days and they're just like obsessed with tracking the ups and downs of it. It's just really, really mentally taxing. So I'd highly discourage people from doing it from a psychological perspective. Uh, but financially, it does also seem like not a great idea. You're kind of going up against companies and people who have much more power and sway and information than you do. It's a pretty unfair fight. But anyway, so you tried some day trading, didn't go so well. Yeah, I mean, I still have my uh, long-term portfolio as well, the one that I'm investing in long-term. Mm-hmm. But uh, besides that, I really don't have much knowledge when it comes to the whole finance world besides some Excel knowledge and some basics that I learned in college. You know, I really don't have any other experience, never interned, mm-hmm. never took part of any of the clubs that had to do with finance. So I wasn't sure if it's, uh, if I should continue to look for jobs or 
time for me to, you know, choose a different route to take. Okay. And why do you think you didn't do any of those things, like the interning or clubs? Uh, honestly, some of the reason might might have been because of COVID, because I've honestly only been on campus for one semester. All the other classes I ever had were, you know, either online or, you know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really uh, put in much effort into it. So now that I graduated, I realized that, you know, maybe I could have done more. Okay. Probably. But what can you do now? Let's say if you wanted to keep going into finance, do you know what your next steps would be? What can make you a better candidate if you haven't been finding jobs? Uh, I, I was interested in financial uh, analyst from the start. But uh, I look at the profession, proficiencies needed in that field, and they all say, you know, you need at least two years of experience, you know, three years of experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, Excel and uh, all those, you know, I, I already know, but I don't think that's enough to get me in the job. Uh, I might, you know, they might interview me, but I don't think I might be the right candidate because of lack of my experience in the field. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, you know, when I asked you about your interest in finance, some of it you mentioned the stocks and things you mentioned, though, making money, which is an understandable uh, goal, um, but usually if we pick a field because of that, it's not likely we're going to be very satisfied with it long term, because that doesn't usually keep us happy long term. But now going in the other direction, when you say maybe I should do something else. Are there other fields or areas that you think you'd be interested in, or that come to mind when you consider changing career paths? Um, I tried the construction field while while I was in college, mm-hmm. just because. Uh, I didn't really do that for a long period of time, but since it's a completely different uh, path to take from finance, and I don't think I'll be able to put my bachelor's in finance into use if I go into the construction field. I've I didn't really consider going into that, but uh, without yeah. let me ask you, do you mean you feel like you're not prepared to do it, or it would feel like a waste if you didn't use your finance? Background. Oh yeah, I'm saying like it might be a waste to you know uh, ditch my degree and to go into like a different field. Well, I, I mean, it can feel that way. Maybe studying finance, you might be familiar with sunk cost principle, where we don't want to get uh, to think about or focus on you know what we've invested into something when it comes to then making the right decision going forward. So if we've you know somebody's also say throwing good money after bad money. So it's like you've put money in a stock and it's going down and you feel bad about that. So you want to put more money in it to maybe make your money back or do something, but it could be the wrong investment. So I would hope you look at your life now. I think you said you're 23. I'm in my mid 20s. Mid 20s. What, what, whatever the exact age is not as important, but basically you might be doing some kind of work for 30, 40 years, maybe not even that long, but a good amount of time. And I wouldn't want you as I was saying before, to make a, you know, based on a decision you made maybe at 18, 19, to then feel like the rest of your life has to be tied to that. So I thought thought someone was celebrating the background, but it sounds like it's a siren. Um, Yeah, that was a fire truck. So, you know, if, if you look at it that way, what's the best decision now? Not just, okay, well, I don't want to feel like my, and it, it will, won't be a waste. I'm sure there's a lot you learned that you'll also get to contribute to what you're, whatever you decide to do, but to let that be your deciding factor would really limit you. 
in a way that it might not be the best thing. People, sometimes people in their you know 30s and 40s completely switch career paths because they realize it's not the right thing or there's something better for them. And, and they change that and, and they might feel like, oh, it's a waste or I put already this much time. People do it with relationships. I've been dating someone three years, even though it's not going well, I don't want it to be a waste, but it's, well, if it's not a good relationship from now and going forward, then it would be a waste to continue doing, to stay in that relationship. And so for you, potentially, if you realize it's not the best thing to continue in finance, it would be a waste for you to continue in finance if it's not the right uh, field or area for you. So I, I would hope you try to minimize that as much as possible in your decision making that the waste part can make it that you, you it'll make you feel stuck. So rather than it being a resource, it'll be like, you know, handcuffs keeping you stuck in a certain path that you might not want to be on. Yeah, I see your point. Yeah. So, so you said construction, that's, you know, something it also takes some time to get into and build, uh, no pun intended, but yeah, you have to, you know, would have to go into that and see how that goes. Um, not in a very, like, in a fantasy type of way, but when you think about yourself five years from now, what do you see that you'd like to be doing or what you would want to see yourself doing? Uh, honestly, I'm, again, I'm still, like, interested in finance now that I, now that I have my degree. But again, I've never worked a day in finance to know how a yeah. day-to-day life feels in finance. That's also one of my problems. Yeah. Uh, again, it comes down to uh, comes back to you know interning and you know joining clubs, which I think I could have done when I was in college. And uh, not sure if it's too late now, but well, it's too late to do it in college if you're out of college. But it's not too late to do it now. So again, we don't want to do the same type of a sunk cost or stay in that regret mindset of like, oh, I wish I did this. I can get you wish you did, but we can use regret as a fuel to recognize, okay, if I regretted doing that or not doing that, how can I do that now? How can I learn that lesson? And so based on some of what you're saying, I think it it could be good for you to experience that. You know, besides we think finance, we're thinking like Wolf of Wall Street and these kinds of very exciting types of lives where it, it probably isn't going to be that but nonetheless what's important is to experience it to see how you feel actually doing the work not just what it might seem like from the outside and that's really true of anything people want to go into a field i think it's always good in whatever way they can either work in some kind of office or shadow someone who actually does the work because it's often very different from what we imagine it to be in our head or what we've seen in media or or other things so if you can somehow get your foot in the door of some kind of a finance company in whatever way that could be a good next step even if it is interning or starting lower level but really as i said um it's kind of a interesting parallel when we're talking about finance and looking at your own life and how you invest in it to really not get fixated on well i picked finance i got a degree in finance I have to do this or else it'll be a, re- a waste of time and I'll regret it. And the ways you talked about a few things, I felt that that regret side of things might loom larger than, you know, no one likes to regret something or changing paths in those ways, but uh, it, it could be for you even a larger threat or the, the, the weight of it might even be more. And that might make you stay stuck more than you need to be. So I hope you won't look at it that way, that it was a waste of time if you switch it'll be a waste of time if you stay in finance if it's not the right field for you you know so um think about that reflect on that if you decide to give finance a chance 
I hope you will really do everything you can to get whatever level job you can to just see is it what you want to do for yourself. But don't be afraid to, to switch to something, even if it's completely different, that, you know, that makes sense for you and gives you a feeling of, I'm good at this, I enjoy it. Because, you know, making money, a lot of people, that's what they're focused on and they think that's the most important thing. But long term, that's not what's going to make you feel good about the work you're doing if it's only right. about making money. So uh, I hope you'll take those things into account as well. All right. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. I really appreciate the help. My pleasure. Nice talking to you. Good luck. Nice talking to you. Too. Thank you so much. Sure. Bye-bye. Take care. All right. Let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Yeah, thank you for uh, taking my call. Sure. I just have a kid, uh, like seven years old boy. And then uh, it's a while he uh, keep hitting me in the bus. I know the, he learned it in a school. So you're saying, yeah. just so I'm clear, you're, you said your son, he's seven years old, and he hits you in the butt like he slaps you in the butt? Yeah, it's okay. not, or like kick, and then when I, I knew he learned from somebody at the school, but when I asked him, he doesn't uh, tell me who it is. Well, uh, I, okay, so, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, he doesn't know what to do, you know, other kids do it, and he thinks it's okay. Okay, and yeah. it's been going for a while. Yeah, and I can understand you don't like it. Um, I would, you know, I'm sure you've talked to him about not doing it also. So I wouldn't focus as much on we have to find who taught him, you know, and the guilty party. But really, I think you can explain to him that you don't like when he does that. I'm, I'm sure you have told him that. And I would, I would encourage you to focus on that part of things with him that I don't, you know, I don't like it. You know, when you touch this my body or he touched me and it's also a way of teaching our kids which we can from a very young age that if anyone touches you or does something you don't like you can always tell them you don't like it and say this is my my body I don't like when you touch me that way so we can also use it as a time to teach him this lesson of of you know his own body this is your body you don't like when he he does that how have those conversations go gone I'm, I'm assuming you've talked to him about not doing it to you yeah, I said, uh, I tried to know who taught him, but he doesn't tell me. He thinks that he may lose his friends. Yeah. That's why he doesn't tell me. Okay. And, uh, you know, I don't know how he tells him that, you know, or I don't know what should I do anyway. <laughs> you. Well, well, that's what I was saying. Have you talked to him about, again, let's go away from who taught him part. But just him doing it to you and you're saying you don't like it. So have you talked to him about that saying, I don't like this when you do it to me or when you when you do that? Have you had those conversations with him? Yeah, I said, don't do it. But... Okay. And what does he say? He thinks it's like a, a play. Yeah. You know, he, he doesn't think that, you know, the kids, I don't know, they, he doesn't know it's a bad thing. Right. I mean, and it's it's not necessarily such a bad thing, although, I mean, we'd want to make him feel so bad about it either. 
you know, but we do want to tell him we don't like it. And you can tell him, look, kids in general, people in general, we're trying to get attention from other people. And so especially kids, one of the ways they'll do it is they'll, if they find something that makes us upset, it makes us react. So oftentimes we'll see kids, even if they get a negative attention, they prefer that to getting no attention. So it could be a way that he gets attention or he thinks it's funny or he plays with you. Of course, you don't like it and you don't want to encourage him to do that. But something also to be aware of is that he, is he wanting more attention from me or for me to play with him more? And this is one of the ways he comes to try to get my attention because it seems like if he does this, it's going to get a reaction out of you every time. So that's also something to be aware of is how strongly you react to it. So we don't want to obviously say it's okay or you like it, but if you get very upset, then you're teaching him that this is a way I can get mommy's attention. You know, even younger kids, they sometimes bite their parents when they're little and because it's hard not to react to it and the parent reacts and then, you know, the, the child gets something they want, which is a reaction out of the parent, even if it's a negative one. So that's also something I'd want you to, to be aware of. I would be less focused on who taught him because let's say we find, find out Billy taught him to do this, which I don't even think it's maybe going to be like one person. What are we going to do with that information? Go punish Billy, how do we not know your son is not teaching other kids to do it? You know, we don't know how that, you know, he saw us. Maybe he saw it in a video. So I wouldn't get so fixated on let's find who taught him this thing um, because I don't know where that's going to get us to, you know, let's and actually let me ask you, let's say if you find out he learned from someone at school, what would you do? Send an email. That's what the parents do. Send an email to the teacher and the teacher, you know, do something. For example, one kid uh, find other kids, and when the teacher find out, they just put him in detention. But but I don't know if that's, you know, what what is that going to do for the, the situation? I don't know if it's, it's going to do... I think your goal is more about what is he doing and what is he doing with you and what is he learning, punishing some kid that may have been the one who taught him, I don't know if that's going to do anything or um, have an effect. So let's say your son says it was Billy and you go email the school or the teacher say, Billy taught my son to do this thing that we don't like. Okay, maybe they punish Billy, but now you still have to deal with your son and what's going on with him and you and him. And I would want you to focus more there than investigating who was the the person who taught him this. Yeah, but I just one and he knows that this is bad you know nobody touch your body yeah you know because they are kids but mm-hmm. how i can tell him how? well that's i mean i think what you just said is part of the conversation so i would also make it a conversation not like a you're in trouble we're going to talk about this but a conversation so not right after he does it but just in general you know you know talk with him say you know a few times maybe you noticed you hit me and I didn't like it, and I told you, maybe we can talk about that, you know, and have a conversation where you say, yeah, you know, sometimes we all, sometimes we like how we, you know, maybe touch, we hug each other, and we like it, but sometimes someone does something we don't like, maybe at school, a kid pinches you, or does something, you know, pushes you, or tickles you, and maybe you don't like it, and so we always can tell someone, I don't like how you are touching me, or what you're doing, and that person, we want them to listen, and so we're going to do that at home, too. And so you want to make sure he even knows that at home. Sometimes 
families in general, Persian families, we think, okay, no, you have to let your family member hug you or kiss you, even if you don't want to, because they're a grown-up or they're your family member. But I'm very much against that. We want to let our kids know from a very young age, you never have to hug anyone, kiss anyone, or let someone hug or kiss you that you don't want to. You have the control over your body. You have the right over your body to say you like or you don't like something. And so everyone should respect you. And you also, we want you to respect other people. It's, it goes both ways. So I think that could be important to have this conversation in a general and don't make it just about the hitting your butt part. That's obviously going to be what might start the conversation or the reason you're having it. But it's a very important conversation for parents to have with their kids. Yeah, and then the other thing is, he doesn't want to talk with the family member. He talks to me a little bit, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when the grandparents ask him, he doesn't talk to them. By the way, I think, if I'm not mistaken, you've called before? No. No? Okay. I thought I remembered something like this a similar... Um, similar type of question maybe i'm mistaken but i thought you asked me something like this the same thing of not wanting to talk with with family members of course it could just be that many people have this um this issue comes up and so um because i'm remembering some of the things i might say now coming up that time but again it could have been someone else anyway uh you know a seven-year-old wanting to talk to older people we can understand he's not wanting to. We, we do have this expectation in general, but again, Persian families, well, you have to talk to, you know, your grandparents or the older people and be very respectful. And that can be important to say respect and those things. But again, this is a similar type of thing where we were talking about the physical body, but this is like our emotional body or personal space that we don't force you to do something. You know, we might encourage you, okay, grandma's here, wants to see you. Would you like to say hi or say something to her but yeah it, it, i just wanted that he has a good communication with the people that's why that's the okay. reason otherwise as you mentioned it's okay if he doesn't yeah. want to talk well but so i wanted to learn that communication is important how i can tell her well everything. well part of communication is it could also be i don't want to talk or i don't want to have a conversation right now and so we can also teach him that that you can tell me or let me know, you know, I don't want to talk right now, or I'd like to have my privacy, or I'd like to be quiet right now. That's also part of communication. It's not just saying lots of words or wanting to always have a conversation. So uh, communication will include those things too. And if you, you push him or force him, okay, you have to go talk to this person, that's actually not going to teach him some aspects of good communication, which is when you have a conversation, both people want to have the conversation and both people are looking to have that conversation. We can't force someone else, you know, because if you force him to have these conversations with other people, he's going to learn also that you can do this to other people. So maybe he forces someone else, hey, I want to talk to you, you have to talk to me. And that's not good communication either. So um, I understand you want to see how he talks and want him to be more confident, maybe talking to people. But if you, you yeah, force him, I, yeah, that he be confident and talk to people, you know. But but we uh, want to make him more comfortable, even talking to you and sharing what he's thinking or feeling, even if it's I don't want to talk, you know. So we're not just going to force him. You have to sit and talk with this person for five minutes. 
we're going to let him tell us, hey, how do you feel about that? So I would encourage you, rather than making him talk to these people he doesn't want to talk to, if he's talking to you, have a conversation with him. Say, how do you? How did you feel about talking to grandma? And let him tell you, oh, I didn't like it, she didn't, or, or I liked it, or she talked this way, or whatever it is. Give him that space to communicate with you rather than forcing him to have these conversations he doesn't want to have. A seven-year-old... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I... I... I just agree with you. Okay. I don't want to force him to talk, but I just wanted that he has, you know, because he is he's growing up, and I wanted that he has a good communication with the people when he is bigger and bigger. You know? Sure, and, and you know, we well, the most important thing we can do with that is how we communicate with him. So. Um, and you, you know, sometimes we assume that everyone has to do it a certain way, like be confident and go up to other people and start a conversation. And, and not everyone is that way. Some people are more introverted and won't start as many conversations. And that's okay, too. So I don't want you to put a pressure on him to have what we might think is good communication that looks a certain way. People could communicate very well, but in different ways that looks different. Some people walk in a room and say, hi, I want to talk to everybody. Okay. Some people walk in a room and they're more quiet and then they talk to a few people. That's okay too. Um, so I wouldn't put this pressure for your son to be a certain way in how he communicates, that he has to talk to so many people or has to go up to them or enjoy the conversation. Give him more space to let you know. And as I said, that's actually going to help him be a better communicator, that you listen to him. He says, oh, you know, mom, I didn't like this. Like, oh, really? Let's talk about that. So have a conversation with him rather than say, no, no, you have to go talk with your uncle now. That's actually not good communication that you're showing him because you're not listening to him or making him feel like you're hearing him. Yeah, definitely. You're right. Yeah. I'm not uh, pushing him, but uh, I just want to basically find a way that... uh, you know, he's, as I mentioned, he, he has, he, he learned to communicate with the people. Okay, and so let me ask you this, are you saying right now he he doesn't do that, or what do you, what is it that you're worried about right now? He does, but he's not uh, like his, you know, because communication is very important. Sure. When the kids grow up and even when they grow up they can find a better job or have a better relationship you know with the people of, of course. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I'm, I don't. I'm not saying communication is not important, but to any like, I think what I'm hearing you saying again to me sounds like that it means he has to be able to talk in a certain way, and, and communication is much more than just talking. That's one aspect of it. Of course, listening is a big part of it, and even more important than that is listening to ourselves and what we're feeling and what's going on. So that's why I want you to be aware of how you talk to him. And understanding, oh, you didn't like talking to this person? Tell me about that. Rather than, no, 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 you have to go talk to them and you have to have something to say or you, you know, because if you want to get a good job, you have to be able to talk to people. That's only one part of communication and not the way everyone communicates. But I would encourage you to have conversations that are very give and take, that you hear him, that you, you know, ask him what he thinks about things, what he feels about things. That's going to do much more for his communication than making sure he has these talks or has something to say and focusing on one aspect of communication. 
Yeah, one person said that kids go to the like the phone classes or theater classes. It's up to the communication. I don't know. It, Is it, it correct or no? It can. I mean, I think theater and those things can be good in general. I wouldn't force him to do that. If he goes to sports. If he likes, let's say, sports, and he goes to sports, yeah, that sports, okay, yeah. that also helps with communication. They have to talk to their teammates. They have to, you know, talk to the coaches. Different things. So, I wouldn't just focus on what I'm. Again, what I'm hearing is when you say communication, it means talking, like just how you express yourself, which is important. But I wouldn't just focus on that end. To focus on, it has to look a certain way. That someone has to give a good speech. Or be able to go up in front of the class yes, and give a talk. Yes, speech, yes. <laughs> but you know, not everyone's going to have to be good at giving speeches or giving a good talk. I'm not saying you can't encourage him in that way, but don't expect that he has to be that way. See yeah, how he is. I, I just want to know how I can encourage them. Exactly, you said that. Yeah. yeah, but 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 my point is, encourage him. Like you know, there's lots of people that are introverted that don't like to go give speeches. Not everyone has to be the person who gives a speech. People can do different things. And if we aren't, again, another part of communication, going back to listening, is listening to who our child is. If he's more introverted, let's say, and more in himself, I'm not saying we still don't encourage him to be able to speak the best that he can, but don't put an expectation that he's going to be the person that goes up to everyone and gives a talk or does stuff like that. That's my concern. What I'm hearing you say is that you're expecting it to look a certain way rather than Let's help him be the best communicator he can be, just like we help him be the best everything he can be because we care about him and we you know we want to help him grow, but not to make it look a certain way that he if he doesn't give you know if he's not comfortable talking in front of the class, that's really bad or he has to want to do you know these kinds of things that's that's what I want you to think about as well no, he does he he does talking in front of the class, but as you mentioned, I just want to improve the you know space or yeah, communication. Okay, yeah. but yeah. I, I'm just saying I, I hope you won't get too fixated on like giving speeches and that type of talking because to me that's one part of communication and not everyone's oh. the way they all want to communicate. So that's that's all I was saying. But yeah, basically leave it alone. Not leave it alone completely, but don't force it to be one thing, right? So sometimes we think I my my kid has to be good at giving speeches. Well, no, they don't have to be good at giving speeches, or they have to want to give speeches. No, they might not. So that's what I'm saying. It's not. Leave it alone, but see how he is and who he is and build that rather than thinking he has to look a certain way or be a certain way and get focused on that part of it. That's that's what I'm saying. It's not just leave it alone, but don't push him to be, you know, so, someone might say, I want my kid to be good at soccer. They have to go to soccer. It's like, no, I wouldn't say that. Let them do activities they like. So it doesn't mean leave it alone, like don't do anything, but also don't push them to be a certain way because yeah, that's exactly. not going to let him be himself. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for your Sure, nice talking to you. Take care. All right, let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello, Dr. Fred. How are you? Good, thank you. Just steal this feedback in the the call, but I try to manage. Okay, hopefully, yeah, I don't know what we can do. On our end, so you're hearing, you're hearing it. Are you? You're not on speakerphone or I, anything like that. I am not. Okay, but I can hear myself back. Okay, hopefully, it won't be too okay. distracting. Yeah. So, anyways, thank. You. It's great talking to you. Likewise. And uh, so, I I want to talk to you a little bit about my eight and a half year old, and uh, 
the the plan that we have to try uh, narrow feedback. Okay. Sorry, this is really distracting to me, but I'm going to uh, do my best okay. to talk. Uh, so the, about like two years ago, we were started noticing some signs of uh, OCD anxiety, which we were not totally surprised because both myself and my, my wife, we suffered from that even as a teenager, as a kid, as far as we could remember. Mm-hmm. Still, there there's some that going on. So we, we kind of expected it, basically. And then uh, listening to your dad and following all his good advice and everything has really helped us to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so we tried the Tova test and uh, when, 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 when she was eight, uh, and um, it came back negative for ADD, ADHD, and depression, but it was severe, showed severe anxiety. Okay. And then, uh, so we started, obviously, the first place we tried, we went through our insurance network and tried to, there was a category for uh, the clinical neuropsychologist. And I started calling them, and I was very surprised to realize half of these doctors, they were not even familiar with the idea of narrative feedback or treating anxiety, depression. Hmm. Uh, some of them were caught by surprise. And then I started Googling, obviously I found some Names. Uh, we live in San Diego, okay. And uh, some websites, some individuals, some doctors that they were talking about that, like treating kids. But going through our network and insurance, and a lot of these people, like I said, at least like over fifty percent, they were not. They said first, no, we don't do this, and and they're listed as neuropsychologists. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is the, so basically my question I guess is from all the clinical cause studies that have been done and particularly for treating anxiety and OCD how much data we have and how much what's the success rate when it comes to neurofeedback yeah well I mean I can't I definitely can't give you some kind of overview uh, of the research. I've looked at it at different times, but to say I can give you success rates and those things off the top of my head, I definitely, I can't. Um, but, you know, what you shared, I'm surprised and not surprised in some ways because even in my own schooling, it wasn't that we learned a lot about neurofeedback or even in graduate school. I think there was, I'm trying to remember if I did learn about it specifically or in any kind of depth and lots of therapists of different kinds even if they're say neuropsychologists they can often specialize or they use certain treatments that they use that works but they might not be as familiar with other ones and might not use them which isn't necessarily good but that's that tends to be the reality of it so um, I'm glad you kept doing your own research to try to under understand what could be best for your child and there is research showing it can be helpful. And of course, with anyone, but especially with young children, we try to avoid medication whenever possible. And so doing something like neurofeedback is 
good for that reason that it doesn't have side effects like a medication would and it can be very helpful so there is research showing it can be helpful but for me to give you a percentage i i don't know that off the top of my head and i don't know if there's going to be a clear percentage you know that would mean someone does something like a meta-analysis looking at all the research on something but even that can be difficult because there's usually differences in the studies to find something like for example for children how helpful is neurofeedback for anxiety you probably won't get a set number but you could look into it and see what's there from what i know there is definitely research showing it can be helpful you know usually research is presented in that way not that it's proven to be helpful or definitely is helpful but it can be helpful and as i said because it's not medical or it's not a medicine it can be a great place to start because uh also the effects can be longer lasting, whereas often with medication, if you stop the medication, the effect also goes away. So I think it can be a good place to start if you already had it recommended to give that a try. Yeah, thanks for that. The other surprising thing is almost no insurance that we, most of them, they don't even accept insurance. Hmm. And then this, you know, this, obviously this is a priority money sure technically a non-issue it was just surprising that even if let's say the gp or the pediatrician diagnosed i mean accepts the toolbox what test and accept the fact that there is an anxiety uh, severe anxiety they still uh, wouldn't thought insurance wouldn't cover it mm-hmm. so, but that's that's that's, I guess that's a separate topic again because it was kind of new to them when I was talking to them. And there's a lot of they were talking about like treating Parkinson and a lot of other narrow related diseases hmm. uh, when when I called them. So so the other thing I was gonna ask you so do you suggest that in parallel we also discuss this with uh, her pediatrician? and see if she would refer us to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, or should we take that route in parallel or just try to do the neurofeedback as the first stop? Well, you you could do that. I mean, you said psychiatrist or psychologist. So a psychiatrist is um, a medical doctor who can prescribe medications. Psychologists cannot. They just can do therapy. Like I myself am a psychologist, so I can't prescribe medication. Um, and a psychiatrist doesn't have to prescribe medication, and there are some that uh, do other types of talk therapy and treatment, but often uh, people go to them to get medication. So um, I'm, I maybe wouldn't want you to go there first. You can look at the therapy and a therapist at her age. It would likely be something like play therapy, which can be very helpful. I, I've done some play therapy in my Um, schooling and also in my practice and it really can be beneficial for a child in in again also without the side effects of something like a medication which depending on the situation sometimes the side effects outweigh the you know the benefits can outweigh the side effects but something like therapy can be wonderful just to help a child connect to their feelings express some things learn some things uh, and you know so I'm, I'm definitely in favor of it I know you mentioned the financial side of things, and if it's not covered, the neurofeedback, that itself could be an issue. But I I don't see any reason why not. Now, you didn't tell me much. You mentioned she got tested, but what is it, your daughter, what's going on with her? What what are the concerns that even led to you seeking treatment? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked because that was my last question, actually. What would, as parents, what's the best reaction or, or action we have to take when we observe this kind of OCD-like mm-hmm. behavior? Yeah. And to, so to, to give you an example, like excessive washing, washing hands, for instance, uh-huh, uh-huh. excessive cleaning, excessive... Uh, it, it, it can be anything like yeah. uh, when it comes to clothing I mean it's it's very obvious it gets mm-hmm. to the, getting to the point that it's very obvious yeah well, this is yeah let me I'm stopping you there because I'm looking at the time and we're at a commercial break but I do want us yeah. to get to these these questions so it'll be going into our last segment but I'm going to put you on hold and after the break yeah you can tell me a bit more of what that looks like these things you're talking about the excessive you know cleanliness washing hands things like that and then some thoughts on how to approach this delicate topic so i'm going to put you on hold and we'll talk after the break okay welcome back before the break we were with the caller let's go back to them now caller are you still there i'm here okay um so before the break we were talking about your daughter and you were talking about some of the the yeah. symptoms or things she's going through that have been concerning for you, you mentioned things like excessive hand washing, cleanliness, or even things yeah. related to clothing. So yeah, tell me a bit more about about that. Then we yeah. can talk a bit about what what, what you can Actually, do. Actually, in break, I was talking about it. And I decided to talk to talk about the one that is the newest and concerns us the most. Okay, and um, that is. Sorry, uh, that is about a schooling. Okay. Because um, she basically takes a very long time. She she's very smart. She's a very smart kid. I I help her with her math, and she does great. But even when I'm working her math with her, she erases even the good answer mm-hmm. to write it in a way that looks good. Uh huh. So. It's now to a point that she all, she's always, when they have a test at school, let's say a math test, she's the one that finishes the last mm. because she kept erasing and rewriting. And even when we were talking to her teacher, she mentioned that to us. And she acknowledged that she does have the right answer. And sometimes because she overthinks it and she can just finish basic, she cannot say done. She erased the good answer and put the wrong answer. Mm-hmm. Now this this anxiety is getting to this to school and education. But uh, in parallel at home is like I said is like washing hands with soap many times. Sometimes it's like like let's say she has already washed her hand and she hasn't touched anything, but she needs to eat. She says, and we see her washing her hands. I'm like, maybe you, ha- you, ha- you haven't even touched anything. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, my hands are not clean. So, so these are the two of the most severe ones. There are little ones here and there, but these are the ones that are the the most pronounced. Okay, yeah, I can see how you're concerned um, about that. Just especially we we just see how it's hurting her. Like you know, just seeing that pressure, yep. for example, with the the schoolwork to, has to be perfect and, you know, rewriting and then re, you know, maybe even 
second guessing herself and to the point where she might get the wrong answer. Yeah, those are concerns for sure. And you mentioned, I think, in the previous segment that you and, uh, you know, both parents probably have anxiety as well. So you're not as surprised that she she has anxiety. So um, that's also one thing to be aware of when we see our children expressing something we have that we might not like, if especially something we don't like about ourselves, if we struggle with it, it could make us be even harsher at times or react to that part too. So it's something to be aware of when we we have something in ourselves that we see in our kids. Um, but I think it's important that you're taking this seriously, that we don't want to see her continue being in this type of distress, and especially we don't want it to get worse, which it often can if it's not looked at. So one thing you might know is that it's not like she's trying to do this or, you know, it's easy for her to to stop this. And so we want to be aware of that. Sometimes you can say, like, oh, well, you know, who cares? Like, just do this or do that. And so we do want to encourage her because the only way we get over things like this is to let things be the thing that we don't like. For example, let our hands be a little bit dirty and eat food or, okay, don't completely fix all the answers and turn it in and see that it's okay. Um, but we don't want to make her feel bad about it because often people who have anxiety and especially perfectionism, they can be very prone to shame. So that's something we want to be very aware of is the not to make her feel worse and realize that this can feel uh, practically out of her control, you know. So that's something very important. Um, if you're saying it's the way that, you know, it is, I, I, I think for her to see a therapist is not a bad idea a few things on that. One is we do want to make sure it's someone who specializes in anxiety and especially anxiety with children and possibly even OCD. I wouldn't give her that diagnosis, but there is definitely some, you know, hints of that or some components of it. So I would want you to make sure it's not just any therapist because it does seem like she's dealing particularly with anxiety. So I think that's a, could be a good idea. We also want to make sure it's very clear to her. It's not that going back to that shame concept something is wrong with you or you shouldn't be this way in some way that makes her feel bad or that you know she's the problem it's more about you know it seems like these even like there's things like they call them sticky thoughts or sticky feelings like these things that get stuck in our mind and we can't get rid of them you know they seem to come and yet it's hard to let go of them you know in a way externalize it so it's not like her that has the problem but these sticky thoughts or feelings that that come into play or something like that. So I really want to emphasize making sure that she doesn't internalize something that I'm bad or something is wrong with me, uh, you know, and I'm the problem because that's often what kids can feel when, when they're dealing with something and we try to get them help. We have to be careful to navigate that balance of it's not like you that's a problem. It's that you deserve to get some help because it doesn't feel good when you're going through those things. So those are just some initial thoughts. Tell me how the conversations have been around these topics with her so far. Maybe for the longest time, we just tried to, I think this is coming from even your dad advice, I think. We tried to ignore it. Mm -hmm. we just tried not to acknowledge it. We just tried to pretend it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. and don't Basically, don't fight it back. Uh-huh. But then, now it's becoming to a point that we feel that she's kind of, sometimes she's suffering by it, you mm -hmm. know? So we try to, now I started talking to her about why you do that. So I, I just very recently started asking questions, say, why do you feel the need 
to, let's say, erase your answer or wash your hand again or, for instance, the new thing that she does, everything, let's say she says, can I eat this tomorrow? Like, yeah, perfect. Yeah, sure. Can you write it down? Yes. Can you put it on a sticky note? Sure. Can you post it somewhere I can see? And we we do all that. Mm-hmm. But it's getting to a point that it's getting also annoying for us. So that's why we yeah. now even trying to expedite the plans that we have. Yeah. Well, you know, ignoring has... Um I prefer that than than to making her feel really bad about it. But yeah, we probably can't ignore it because it seems like it's very real and it's not going to go away. I'm sure that's the hope is that if we ignore it, we don't make it big. It might just disappear and be a phase or something like that. But it seems like that's not happening. And I'm glad you're having these conversations with her. One thing to be aware of is, you know, actually, I think last week I talked about this word why, or maybe it was, I forgot when it was, two weeks ago. But when we ask someone why... It could sound either judgmental or it could sound like I'm curious and I genuinely want to understand. And so we want to be very careful about that because if you say, why do you do this? It could seem like you're doing something wrong. What's wrong with you? But it's like, let me help me understand. I, I know you just washed your hands and it seems you want to wash your hands again. Like help. I want to understand that, you know, so a curiosity that I want to understand what you're going through. And yeah, it's like because the why is not going to be that it's not going to change things, you know, because it's not like she's saying, oh, why? Oh, because I think the air is dirty. And you say, oh, no, the air is not dirty. And then she says, oh, okay. And then, you know, stops. It's something more of a feeling thing. Like, it just feels like I have to wash my hands again, you know? So we want to help her understand it and show her we want to understand her. But be aware that it's not likely that by convincing her, oh, you know, your teacher doesn't care if you make the, the four crooked or something, you know, it probably won't just change her mind about this or make it that she can stop. So it's also being aware of this is has some weight behind it. And by that, I mean, don't think it's just going to change quickly or have that expectation. And so we have to be patient with her that these things that she's worrying about, she'll likely be worrying about them for a while, you know, and we have to be aware of that. Uh, that's the reality of this situation. Um, so I just want to be mindful of this because she probably already feels bad about these things and we want to help her, but also make sure we don't make her feel worse about herself or worse about these things because it's very delicate and it could go in that direction. And even what you shared, that's the part that can be difficult is I'm saying this, you know, very comfortably just giving you some advice, but you have to live day to day and deal with things with her and as a family and, you know, getting places. And so when she does things that adds time to the routine, it could get frustrating or you can get annoyed. And we have to be very aware of that too, how much of that we express to her and show her because that will also make her feel worse and feel like I'm making, you know, mommy and daddy upset or, you know, I'm bad because of this and those things we have to be very careful about as well. So I'm glad you're trying to get some help. Some like neurofeedback could potentially be helpful with her of helping her get a sense of having more of a sense of control with what's going on. Um, But it does seem like what you're describing is very much in the realm of OCD type of anxiety. And that can be pretty uh, distressing for the person going through it. And so I hope you will consider, I wouldn't want her to be on medication. Uh, Again, it's always a pros and con type of a, a debate and discussion. 
but considering seeing a therapist who, again, I would want the therapist to have experience and be specializing in anxiety with children because it's not just going to be your traditional type of therapist that might have the type of knowledge and experience that will be most helpful for your daughter. Yeah, th- thank you very much. I just want to sure. maybe a little bit more on, you mentioned something about how to explain to her why we're, let's say, taking her to neurofeedback neuro, neuro mm-hmm. or either to see a therapist. Can you please just say that one more time? What's the best way to explain this to a child? Sure. Well, yeah, as an overall mindset, um, I even say it's not just for children, but in general, I think expressing it as you deserve to get some help versus like you need, meaning like you're the problem, could be important. But I think it could be part of a bigger discussion of asking her about what that's like for her. What does it feel like, for example, when she's uh, keeps erasing and re-erasing. So we have to ask again in a way that shows we want to understand. We don't want to tell her she's being bad or wrong or why do you do this in a way that's judgmental. I really want to get it because it's very evident that it's creating stress and you know anxiety in her, right? Or anxiety, I should say. It doesn't feel good. She's not enjoying those experiences, right? So we want to connect to her pain, allow her to express that to you. Like, oh yeah, like sometimes I'm worried, you know, I feel if I'm going to turn it in, my teacher is going to hate it, or I'm, I'm afraid she's going to say it's all wrong or, or whatever it is. And then not try to take those feelings away. Like, oh no, you could say, oh, I don't think it's going to happen, but I can see how that's scary for you, or that doesn't feel good. And then now when the, these bad feelings are part of the discussion and part of um, your conversations with her, and she knows you know them and understand them better, then you can share with her, well, you know, maybe there's ways we can help you so you don't have those types of thoughts that are bothering you or the way it's making you feel. So it becomes about this pain that she's going through rather than, oh, yeah, there's something wrong with you and we have to fix you and you're not normal or other kids don't do this. We don't want to bring up any of those types of thoughts or types of conversations. The focus is more on, yeah, it seems like that's something painful or difficult and we want to help you and you know here are things that might help with that very good thank you so much Dr. Fred, sure. for your time. wish you the best I'm uh, you know I'm glad you're trying to get her help and to, you know for that I really mean it when I say she deserves help and to deserve to make her feel better and keep in mind as I said when it's something we ourselves experience and we see in our kids at times that's always going to impact how we respond to it and being for yourself and your wife to be mindful of that as well. Yeah, it's, all, it's almost like, a, I don't know what to call it, but this, she absolutely reminds me of how it was. Yeah. I was exactly, I was the last person submitted my submitting my paper when I was in even in high school. Mm-hmm. It's exactly, it seems like it, it's happening all again. Yeah. I see it it all again. And that's why, you know, when we we can judge ourselves for that or still carry some things about that and then we pass that on to our kid, we don't want to do that. And also it could be a good reminder that not that we want to ignore what she's going through and say it doesn't matter and it it should just stay that way, but that you were okay. You know, you went through that, you got through it, it's okay. So we don't overly panic and make her feel that, you know, she has to change instantly or it's something really, really wrong or bad. But we want, you know, we want to help her and and see what we can do. So um, wish you the best with that and appreciate your call. Thank you so much. Sure. Take care. All right. That brings us to the end of today's show. A big thank you to Farhuda here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Farid Lakwi, Zan Zendegi Azadi.